Greetings, troubled listeners. Welcome back to the Troubled Men podcast. I am Renee Komen, sitting in my safe house on the line with my co-host, the original troubled man for troubled times and future mayor of New Orleans, Mr. Manny Chevrolet. Welcome, Manny. Hey, man. What's going on with you? Oh, uh, you know, I'm hanging in here. You know, it's, uh, it's uh, an auspicious uh, conjunction of, of, of days today. It's April Fool's Day. It's also our 150th episode that we're recording. You're fucking lying, aren't you, again? Uh, no, no, this is all very true. 150? Yes, yes. It's really? A, yes, it was, a, it was a year ago that we were recording our, our gala 100th, 100th episode where we had uh, all the previous uh, uh, roundup of previous guests from the, the, the uh, 99 episodes before that. And uh, since, since that time, we've produced... One uh, produced fifty more episodes in lockdown. Said it couldn't wow. be done. God, to me, it seems like four hundred episodes. If you ask me. Okay. Well, yeah. yeah. Some of our <laughs> listeners, I'm, I'm sure it feels the same way. You know. Yeah. Uh, wow. One hundred and fifty. Well, how does that make you feel? Um, uh, it's a sense of accomplishment. You know, I look back on. Well, for one thing, you know, I look at all the great guests we had up till one hundred. And there was some discussion of, well, maybe we should, uh, you know, wait till this pandemic is over to start back up. And we thought, no, let's let's forge ahead. So that's 50 guests that we've had since then. And not only that, up, up till that point, we had done them all in person. So it was all people that were either from New Orleans or passing through New Orleans. Um, but, yeah. you know, this forced us to uh, to start doing them remotely and allowed us to branch out. And those, those uh, past 50 guests, we've had uh, guests not only from New Orleans, but guests from across the United States, coast to coast. All right. So okay. that's, that's, that's a positive thing. It's, it's opened up the, uh, the, the roster. And yet we haven't made a dime from this show, have we? Well, uh, it's, uh, it's, we haven't made a dime, but uh, we've made a lot of friends, Manny. We made a lot of enemies, too. So, uh, you know, the fact that we have this huge catalog of, of great shows uh, is, is definitely a feather in our cap. Cool. That's cool. <laughs> What's going on with you, Manny? Well, uh, I'm into March Madness, man. Are you? Okay. Yeah. Oh, I've always been into March Madness. But I'm into it even more because, you know, my... Uh, uh, my team, UCLA, has made the Final Four. Oh, okay. See, yeah, I wasn't it, even paying attention. I didn't even know what stage we're at with that. But uh, Oh, okay, we're in the Final, Final Four. Four. They're oh, the wow. Cinderella team. You oh. know, I went to UCLA for a year and then dropped out. But I grew up being a Bruin fan because of all the great history back in the 60s and 70s when I, when I was a kid and watching all the great teams win championships. And uh, they're a Cinderella team. They've beaten they've beaten the number one and two seed uh, two weeks in a row, and now they're in the final four, going up to the great the their greatest challenge is the best team in the country, uh, Gonzaga, from the state of Washington, okay. is in their way. But uh, I'm watching the you know the March Madness, and I, I'm loving it. Uh, because I'm loving it because, uh, one, there's no people in the stands because usually, usually, uh, during March Madness, when they have, uh, you know, televised with big crowds 
and when we get down to these like final eight, final four teams, they always show pictures of uh, these parents of these kids, you know, of these uh, basketball players. Uh-huh. And they're all they're all have the same look on their face. These parents, they they just say, "I know my kid's going pro, and I'm going to be rich in a minute or two. Okay, you know? well they're proud. That's uh, it's the well, yeah. Well, they're also like, you know, I know he's going to buy me a new house once he makes pro and all that kind of stuff. Well, you know, yes, it's a, after and, years of sacrifice. Uh, yes, you know, well, who's sacrificing? The kids uh, sacrificing. Yeah. But uh, it's so glad not to see that. That's my point. It's so glad not to see these these parents who are just sitting there going, mm. "He's so rich. He's so rich. He's gonna be so rich." A, a lot of those kids played in that tournament. That's that's probably their that might be their last game. Ever, I know, you know, but they always they, focus on the kids who are going to pro, going to be okay. pro. You know, going to be pro. So I'm happy not to see that. You know, All right. Okay. You know, well, uh, glad glad uh, that uh, yeah. you know, once again the pandemic is is playing out for you, Manny. Misfortune of others can once again uh, bring some some warmth to your heart. Yeah, man. That's cool. Okay. Very good. Very good. So uh, so that's that's more excitement on the way. Now they they playing those games uh, every few days. How, how long is that going to last? Oh well, we're going up to the final weekend. You've got um, okay the two big games Saturday night and they take a day off because of that, uh, Jesus holiday. Yes, yes, um, yes. It's Holy week. Yes. So, yeah. so by the time the troubled nation, uh, hears this, this podcast, uh, the results will already be known. It's a little bit of a oh, yeah, a yeah, time travel the, here. We're going to yeah, be doing. Okay. Yeah, um, well, so, uh, so we, we have on, on, uh, on COVID news, we have uh, more vaccinations going on and more people are getting them all the time. Tana got her second vaccination, uh, second and final vaccination today. Um, how are you standing with the vaccination? Because I know uh, a couple of weeks ago you said that you actually had an opportunity to, to get one, but uh, they were going to give it to you in the arm and, and you wanted it in, in the ass. Because yeah. you said you'd always gotten it in the ass before and you, you've been getting it in the ass since you were a kid and, and you wanted to, to continue that. Well, I'm old school. I'm a, uh, well, I, uh, my daughter got her first shot today. Or yesterday, okay. actually yesterday, uh, and I'm uh, I, I'm I'm uh, I'm waiting. I, I have an appointment coming up very soon to get mine. Okay. Um, I haven't got mine yet. Um, I'm still. I think it's. I think I have an appointment. I talked to uh, I talked to our our, our doctor um, and his staff. Referred, the staff physician. Yes, he referred okay. me to this place that where he's telling all his patients to go. So I've called them up, and they're supposed to call me back. But I think I'm going to get the sh the first shot next week sometime. I'm, okay. Right. I don't know. It hasn't been confirmed yet. You know, it hasn't been confirmed yet. Um, you know, um, my wife, who I you know I love her dearly, but she you know I she doesn't listen to me whatsoever. I could. Mm -hmm. She still doesn't remember my birthday. Yeah, you know, <laughs> well. you, know, you know, I told her that I'm. I, they're setting me up for the shot next week, and today when I woke up and we woke up, she goes, "Are you going to get your shot?" I said, "No, it's next week, sometime next week." And then when I got home from work today, 
She said, how was your shot? And I said, <laughs> it's next week. It's next week. You know, okay. So there doesn't... has been some, some cognitive decline over the course of, uh, of the, these episodes. So, right. Yeah. Right, so right, 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 right. I'm going to get the shot because I, I, uh, I, uh, I have, uh, something I want to do, uh, this summer, which means I'm going to need to be vaccinated. I'm not going to let you know what, what it is yet, but I, I have something I want to do this summer. So I, I, I'm uh, going to get the shot. Yes. Okay. All I'm right. going to get the shot, uh, and then I'll get the second shot. But it's not. I haven't done it yet. You know, it's not. I haven't done it yet. So. Yeah, so. Okay. Okay. Very good. So, but because but, I'm also because I'm hearing everything that's going on. I mean. I think we're going to get shut down again in six months. I really do. Yeah, that's it's you know they are talking about because uh, you know COVID fatigue is so uh, is so strong and people are re- it's like a rubber band ready to snap back you know and uh, people are going to get this sense of of that that uh, everything's okay and they're they're talking about a fourth wave. Yes, I saw. Well, that. also because it, they're shutting down Europe again. France has shut down the whole country. And places like Italy and, and, and Britain, they're, they're getting ready to shut down again. And then I, I heard a story uh, just a few days ago that um, these pandemics, you know, even though you get a vaccine, I mean, the last pandemic lasted almost two years. And we've only been into the first 13 months. Yeah, they didn't have a vaccine for that, but... Uh, but yeah. and- but yes, you're right. It, it, it. So I, I really think, uh, um, you know, it's okay. I'm, I'm fine with it. If people want to go out and uh, get killed, you know, and stuff like that and get the, get the, get the COVID, fine. I'm, I stay at home. I'm not going anywhere, man. Yes, yes, you know? yes. I understand. So, I, 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 you know, I'll get the shot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm going to get the shot. Yes. Yeah. In the ass. In, yes. Yeah. Well, okay. that's the only way I'll get it. I want the needle in the ass, Renee. Okay. All right. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. You understand family. what I'm saying? I, I, I get what you're saying, man. It's okay. Yes, I, I, I totally get what you're saying. All right. And I, so, um, so uh, here we are. Yes, you mentioned it's Holy Week. We had uh, Palm Sunday uh, last Sunday, and uh, and what does that represent? The, Palm Sunday. I'm not a I religious think, person. I think Palm so Sunday is uh, is you know traditionally the the Christians or Catholics. Uh, celebrate the day when, like, I guess Jesus supposedly came into Jerusalem and was greeted with uh, palms as the by the the cheering crowds. I don't know. And then, but, and then uh, a minute later, they killed him, right? Well, no, it was a week later. Yeah, a week took, later took, 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 took a well uh, five days, five days. Um, <laughs> but uh, but uh, you know, trivia uh, question: They always uh, see will come up to say, well, where does the uh, the ashes for Ash Wednesday come from? So the answer is they burn the palms that they used this year on Palm Sunday, and that's what they make the ashes out of for uh, next Ash Wednesday. So we so we have uh, Lent is coming to an end, Manny. As we're in the middle of Passover, you know we celebrated uh, the uh, Passover Seder on Saturday night. We went through the whole all the prayers, the the Haggadah, and the whole Seder meal. Went through all the. Plans. What is a Seder meal? Well, it's it's where you retell the uh, the Exodus from. No, Egypt. but what is the meal? I don't care what they're talking about. What's the food? 
Uh, well, it, the the actual dinner can be whatever you want, but but the the ritual. So you part, had bacon. Well, no, no, not no. It's a it's a kosher meal, kosher meal. But uh, in in the the ritual foods, you know, they represent different things. You have you know uh, bitter herbs and uh, you know haroset that represents the mortar. Then it's it's a whole. Sounds so, disgustingly represent- awful. No, no, <laughs> bitter it's, herbs it's, and the horosa and the well, you don't, you don't, you don't need a lot of that. It's just a, a ritual uh, uh, partaking of, of these as, as these these different foods represent aspects of of the uh, the bondage in Egypt and uh, you know the the all the act, all the things that that went down as as God freed us from from bondage. We have the uh, my favorite part is the plagues. Um, and then of course I've talked about this before. The best plague is, is the real showstopper. The last one, which is, uh, death of the firstborn. Uh, <laughs> you know, once you have death of the firstborn, it's, it, it is, it's, it's the, the show closer, you know, you can't open with something like that. Cause so that's, you're that's supposed no to, to kill it. your firstborn. No, no, no. God, God, uh, uh, because uh, Pharaoh had hardened his his heart and and not released the Egyptians, uh, not released the Israelites after the first nine plagues, uh, he finally pulled out all the stops and uh, and that's the whole thing of Passover is the 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 angel of death passed over the Israelites' houses and and smote the firstborn of all of the Egyptians and including their their livestock. So it's a very dramatic moment in the whole story. Sounds yeah. like Fantasy Island, if you ask me. Sure, <laughs> sure, sure. The plane, the plane. Yeah. Um, so anyway, Lent is ending here. Now, I know you always give up for Lent. Yes. Instead of giving something up, you just generally give up. So when Lent is over, is there a, uh, is, is, is there a resumption of not giving up or it just kind of continues uh, uh, yeah, I guess I just continue. I don't know, man. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> all, right all right. Anyway, I'm out of, uh, I don't have anything else to talk about. We have our guest here, though. Well, I like, do. Hold on a sec. Okay, well, uh, let's let's get to it because uh, we're, we're deep into it here. We don't want to keep uh, it. I was just very, uh, you know, I, I, you know, we are all getting older and I, I've had this uh, job, this career for the last 15 years. And, and I guess I'm kind of sad because I, um, you know, I've had all, you know, over the years, I've, I work at the campus and I have all these student workers, you know, the, a lot of student workers who come and go and they're good kids for the, for the most part, except for the uh, Long Island kids. But um, uh, I had this one kid uh, a couple days ago who uh, very, uh, who's a worker who works with me, for me, and bright young girl. Um, and... Uh, She's she's really good. She's one of the best employees I've ever had. And I guess I, I got really depressed when she came up to me just yesterday and said, can I use you for a reference? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, wow, that makes me feel old and it makes me feel dull and it makes me feel, you know, just not good. So okay. I, I said, uh, yeah, sure, you can use me for a reference because she's got a chance to do some internship in, you know, in Swahili or something like that. I don't okay. Know. And Humanitarian? Yeah, some kind of thing. And uh, I said, uh, sure. So it, it kind of makes me feel weird because no one's ever asked me that. And then I started thinking to myself, me? You want me to be your reference? Me? 
right? You know who I am? Dropped, yes. Yeah, dropped. Yeah. You know who I am? You know? Do you know what I'm about? And I've never I, listened to this podcast. Yeah. Well, yeah. I've listened. Well, no, she doesn't listen to the podcast. Yeah. But anyway, so I just wanted to put that out there because it made me feel really like weird, and uh, <laughs> because the whole time I've been trying to fuck her. So it's just, it's just, yeah, well, I guess she's, I guess she's liking that Manny. So I don't know. Well, maybe, maybe, I don't know. She's a good kid. All right. Well, listen, enough about you. Let's uh, introduce our guest. Yes. He's exciting to me. Yes. Our our guest is a a fellow I've, I've known about for a long time. I, I worked with his father going way back to the very first record I ever played on. Um, now he's grown up since that time. He's, uh, he's a very successful, fantastic guitar player, singer, songwriter, um, record producer himself, uh, uh, instructor. So he's has the band, uh, the North Mississippi all-stars with his brother. Uh, we'll get into all of this without further ado, the great Luther Dickinson. Welcome Luther. Hey, thank you, fellas. That a boy, Luther. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, thanks for being here, man. Yeah, we, uh, you know, I was saying we, I played this gig last a uh, couple of weeks ago, and 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 I saw when I was playing that you were going to be there the next day, and I thought, man, I haven't seen Luther in so long. Man, it'd be great to get him on the podcast. So I went by and spoke with you, and we uh, uh, we we were instantly reminiscing about uh, about. I don't know, old times that you weren't quite there for, but uh, Memphis, <laughs> Memphis goings on. So it's, it's great to have you here. It's funny. It's just, there's such a tie between Memphis and New Orleans, and, and maybe it's not that well-known, but amongst musicians anyway, I mean, that is such a beautiful, beautiful relationship. You know, it's five, six hours away, and I mean, right. so much of what I've learned has really fared me well. In a professional capacity as a musician, I learned in New Orleans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's definitely a lot of cross pollination. You know, that's there's things that go on in each town that that are fairly alien to the other one. You know, but but very. <laughs> it's, but 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 um, there's definitely a through line there. So so people that are you know coming from one are, are attracted to the other. And yes, it's uh, it's you know we we've had a ton of of Memphis associated people on this podcast. You know, we had, uh, Jimbo Mathis. I know you worked with him in the past. Uh, he's kind of, kind of, kind of a Memphis guy, you know? Oh yeah, had, for sure. Total. Had, uh, Robert Gordon, the great writer. I know is a, a good friend of your father's, but, but yes, yeah, a lot of, a lot of people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and Jimbo likes to hunt nutria. Oh yeah, Jim, alligator, all kind of stuff. Yeah, Jim, Jimbo's a he's a subsistence kind of hunter. Yeah, he can live off the land. Well, it's <laughs> as as my father said about Robert Gordon's book. It came from Memphis. Mm-hmm. I, I, this should have been on the book cover as a quote. It's my favorite. You know, it, it's, a, it's interesting to see who chose to lie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now you're. Your father is the same guy who worked with the Stones way back when? That's right. He, he was at Muscle Shoals, and he played piano on Wild Horses. And uh, wow. he, he advised them to go to Muscle Shoals. They wanted to come to Memphis, but their visas were out, and they had, their visas, they weren't supposed to work anymore. They were, had to stay under the radar. 
And he was like, well, you can't come to Memphis because Memphis will go crazy if the Rolling Stones come. They wanted to record at right. Stax. He was like, right, go right, to... Yeah. Go to Muscle Shoals. Nobody will know who you are, and you can slip in. And uh, three weeks later, they went, and and they called him up, and so he met him there. And he was there all three nights. The first night was You Got to Move. The second night was Brown Sugar. And the third right. night was Wild Horses. And he got to play on Wild Horses. Uh, and a great... Yeah. He, he, must, he, he must have a great story. There's got to be a great story. Oh, man, yeah. He, you know... Dad wrote a book like the last years of it. He wrote his whole life and he collected all of his writings, put them together in the last 10 years of his life and then wrote, it filled in all the blanks. And the book came out after he passed away. And like literally as the ambulance was coming to pick him up, he was like, the epilogue final chapters are in the zebra folder oh. underneath the spiral, you know, blah, blah. You know, it's like, Wow. And yeah, so it was a big pro. And he wrote by hand, so you know, uh, the trans transcribing that, editing that. It was a huge, great, beautiful process for him. But yeah, if you want to hear, speaking of who chose the lie, <laughs> if you want to yeah. hear his side of the story, his book is fantastic. It's called "I'm Just Dead, I'm Not Gone." <laughs> right. right. Because I know in Keith Keith Richards' book Life, he he talks fondly of your father, um, talking man, about those. I days. wish he could have lived to. Have, yeah, man, on the third page, man. I yeah. wish my dad could have lived to seen that. He would have been fucking thrilled. He loved Keith, you know, to no end, and they fell out of contact, you know, for decades. But yeah, but yeah, they were they were soul brothers, man. They had a. Cool. He's in the movie. Um, uh, what's it called? Give me shelter, right? Yes. And yes. You can see him, and and it's no coincidence that he was in the movie. The whole session was filmed, but they only had one light, and he could he knew most of it was going to be too dark because Dad had gone to drama. He went to college to avoid the draft and studied theater, drama, yeah. uh-huh. amongst other things. So he so, knew you know, lighting. He understood lighting. Yeah. Yeah. And. After the whole Wild Horses, they went, went to playback. And they were setting up the one light in front of the console uh, in the control room. And the control room was tiny. But Dad's like, hmm, okay. And he had the last joint tucked behind his ear. So uh, he sat down on the couch right before playback started and lit the joint. And Keith came and sat down next to him. <laughs> and they hit play, and he got in the fucking movie, man, because it was... It was it right. <laughs> he, he, he knew how it was going to play out, right, right, when he lit yeah. that joint, and he knew it was in the light. And, and <laughs> well, you know, what, what, what happens just two weeks later after that is Altamont. You know, that's yep. the thing that Keith talks about. They had this amazing thing at Muscle Shoals that happened with your father and whoever else was there, you know. And then two weeks later, um, the 60s were over because of it Altamont. Done. Yeah, yeah, it was done. The peace, love, and all that stuff. And Altamont happened, and boom, the 70s are here, and it's different and stuff like Man. that. So what happened with your father after the Stones in the 70s? He just worked with millions of people, I'm sure. He had a good time, man, um, <laughs> for a while there. Memphis was a little behind the times. Memphis got really wild in the 70s. And, um, you know, he was 
a beatnik. He was a head. He was a not a hippie. He said the first time he saw a hippie, he was like, uh oh. Uh oh. He's like, they're gonna blow our cover. You know, he's like, that's not cool. Cause he was like right. a paranoid uh underground, paranoid, like keep it cool and don't get busted kind of guy, you know? Um right. but anyway, so the sixties was amazing in Memphis because of the folk music you know they went from rock and roll blues you know they grew up in 50s i mean shit man i could talk about dad forever growing up in memphis in the 50s is rock and roll heaven well the 60s right. for him was folk music you know bob dylan and then the blues all the blues artists were were brought to the, the beatnik community and they and memphis just was on fire with like these elder bluesmen like master musicians and the young beatnik kids and 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 they had the Memphis Country Blues Festivals, et cetera, and it was a beautiful uh, community when the seventies came about, and uh, it got even wilder. But right after the Stones in Miami, Dad and his band got hired by Jerry Wexler and Tom Dowd to be a house band for Atlantic Records, and they moved to Criteria. Was that the Dixie Flyers? Yeah, Dixie Flyers. Right on. They asked David Hood and the Swampers to do it, but they, the David Hood had just built the studio that the Stones recorded in, and so they, they the didn't want to leave. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. but, it, but uh, Wexler and Dowd were sick of hanging out in Muscle Souls, Alabama, and they bought some boats, and they wanted to go to Florida, you know? And right. shit, man, Dad and his cr- crew... You know, the six months they were down there uh, until it imploded and and uh, right. Dad ended up making a solo record. But man, he recorded, they won a Grammy with Aretha Franklin. But my favorite record of that era is Jerry Jeff Walker, Being Free, a beautiful psychedelic okay. folk record. Uh, right. I love that record. Well, well but, your dad had the, the band Mudboy and the Neutrons. All, after all that. After yeah. that, which was like, a psychedelic jug band sort of sort of thing, right? And and, uh, and blew a lot of minds because of all these different elements that they were bringing in. Well, as I said, Memphis was behind the times. You know, they had these things called the Dream Carnivals in the seventies, um, and it was a lot like the Acid Test, but it was you know a few years later, and it right. was like performance art. You know, they had dancing girls and puppets and freaks and magicians and films and like you know they had. Uh, Bill Eggleston had video cameras so they were the first Sony like handheld video camera so they were projecting shit on TVs you know they were just uh, you know having freak parties man and uh, it was really wild and yeah Mudboy and the Neutrons was they had a jug band an acoustic side and an electric uh, psychedelic improvisational you know something that we learned from dad and his bands like you take all types of let's say roots music that's my favorite term all mm. types of american roots music and use it as uh loose structures for ensemble improvisation you know so they would play uh, real raggedly like it was more performance art you know uh uh-huh. yeah you had jim crosswaite in, in the band which uh is <laughs> just yeah he's just a character a real character of uh the puppeteer the, uh, Yes, yeah, yeah, right, right. So when are you born? Oh, I was born in 73. That was another... That kind of slowed Dad's roll. Like, he... Cramped his style. Yeah, yeah. Not really. It just changed it. Like, he kept it... They would would party at the house. You know, he had his back house studio, 
and slowed him down a little bit. They would party at his house at different houses, and then they would go to Sam Phillips' recording studio, and that was a real hotbed. You know, in early on, they had the keys to Ardent Studios. That's how Big Star Third got made. They would right, go in there dad, late at night. Dad, your dad was the producer of Big Star Third. Exactly, the third it, Big Star record. Right. You know, and that's a funny segue. For us, Renee, because I know mm-hmm. we spoke and we'll catch people up, but yep. something that we have in common that has to do, okay, as Alex and my dad recorded Big Star Third, they got into unlearning music and making music that was so, well, punk rock was uh, an influence, but also just deconstruction in general, you know, and rampant, right. crazy degenerative drug use you know what i mean like shit was going down and they would just literally dad would say he and alex literally just try and see who could be the craziest you know there's this song on that record called like a kangaroo and sure uh, dad recorded it that night no sorry alex and a friend of ours um went in late one night and alex recorded it with this uh our friend pat rayner who was a photographer and um, yes, the great pattern. And a friend. Yeah, but not a recording engineer. And they recorded it right. like yeah, completely yeah. distorted. And this wasn't a booked session. The next time they got together, it was just random times they would mm-hmm. get together, meet up at Arden and party all night and make music. Yeah. The next time they got together, uh, Chilton told, played it for dad. He was like, yeah, man, produce this. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've heard stories of their where they're laying on the uh, on the ground with uh, with uh, guitars open up hit, hitting them with guitar strings. I mean with with uh, with drumsticks just to see. That was this. You know. That's what happened immediately right. after. Exactly. Right, right, right. Dad was like, "I can I overdub on it?" So he played the drums. He played that god awful cowbell. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> he played, and then he grabbed his guitar and was just feeding back, making noise. But Dad said that he was having so much fun. No, maybe Alex thought he was having too much fun, or just was wanted in on the fun. And Alex came over and took over and finished yeah. the take. And there's a point where the, that crazy guitar plays the melody, actually. And I think that's like when Alex took over. Um, okay. But that song was like, wow, like Alex. I've heard, um, you know, this is secondhand Alex stories, but you know, he was like, wow, fuck, man. It's like you can build on pure madness like that. And then yep, the next yep. record they made was Flies on Sherbert, and Alex had all these great songs, but Mudboy and the Neutrons showed up at the session, and they didn't know the songs, they didn't learn the songs, they completely deconstructed the songs, and right. it was kind of like <laughs> the end of the, the era of Alex making, you know. The, those kind of records. Well, you know, the, that, that first record that I did with your dad, I was telling you, it's that, that Sugar Ditch Revisited record that the Panther Burns made at, at Phillips. And uh, they, your dad was already recording uh, Tav and Tav Falco and Ross up there. And then Alex and I would come up and he'd have us uh, do some overdubs on those, mm. those tracks. And I, I, we also did some live tracks with all four of us there. But uh, on, on one of those overdub things, he had an acoustic bass borrowed up there for me to play, so I play it and it would overdub down and 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 he goes, Oh, that was great, Renee. I said, Yeah, could I hear it back? He goes, No, you don't need to hear it back. And I said, Well, well, let me just check it. He goes, No, it's fine, man. 
And he would not let me hear a playback of it. He's like, no, it's good. They're like, okay, well, this is, this is definitely a new experience for me. You know, I'd come in, I, th- I had this idea of, of studio, professional studios, you know, like in music school there, you get the idea it's like a jingle session or something, you know, and everybody's sitting there and they have, it's, it's all very professional and stands and all, and you get to Phillips and well, no, nobody's reading any music. There's no stands. You have Roland Janes there who's, who is a, a, a giant of, of guitar playing and sessions and recording, but you know, at that time, he's an old man with one tooth, and uh, you know, <laughs> Philip's Phil, recording, in, in the words of Chuck Prophet, at that time, it was uh, state-of-the-art for 1965. So, <laughs> so, so how is uh, your childhood? You, you go to school, you are, I mean, you, it sounds like you're growing up in, in this uh, musical <laughs> craziness, you know, your dad's recording, you got people over the house, how was your younger years? Did you go to school? Did you, you know? Yeah. Were, and your mom was there? Was your mom there making your lunch and stuff like that? And, and where were you learning to play guitar? Were you picking it up from, from all these people hanging around? Or what, what was that like, too? Totally, man. You know, uh, the best thing, my brother was a natural musician. He's been playing guitar since he was like five, six just picked it up, started playing Furry Lewis like right off the bat. Picked up the okay. drums at 11 and 12, natural musician. I, the only, the, uh, I knew, oh, sorry, my advantage was that I always knew what I was going to do. You know, I, it was never a question. I do not remember a time when I didn't know I was going to be a guitar player. And the funny thing was my dad was a piano player. He worked with great guitar players. Maybe, right. I don't know, whatever, but. I had to work, man. I've been working, practice, you know, and, and it's still a microsecond to microsecond battle to to not suck, you know. But who cares? Yeah, and yeah, uh, just knowing what you want to do, right? But I'm saying, like Lee Baker was a fantastic guitar player. Was were you getting any, you know, impromptu lessons from any of those from Lee or or? Oh yeah, yeah, uh, man. The Memphis community, Lee Baker. Teeny Hodges, Charlie Freeman, my dad's partner from the grave. I listened to the records and, and I had to learn his stuff. I had to learn a lot of Ry Cooter because dad taught us his repertoire and his repertoire was huge, like American Roots music. Your dad made, what, like 12 or, or more records with, with Ry and they were partners yeah. and, and did, a, did a lot of soundtracks together and stuff. And the funny thing was, like, open tune guitar, finger pick guitar, a slide guitar, all these things were always an aspect of my concept of the guitar it wasn't like oh wow you could tune it different or oh maybe i should try to learn to play slide or oh you don't have to use a pick you know it was like because of folk music and and all the influences that i was around um my idea of the guitar and a great story i got my first guitar when i was five and my dad was like if you learn three chords i'll get you an amp it was a little electric guitar and i was like oh fuck and uh, I, like I said, I wasn't a natural. I just loved it immediately. But eventually, after a couple of days, mom was like, why don't you just tune it open for him? So he tuned it to <laughs> open E and show me Bo Diddley. And man, I've been in open tuning ever since, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. Even the story of dad figuring out open tuning is, is great. Uh, long story short, in, in the 50s, late 50s, his, da- his high school band opened up for Bo Diddley as Bo Diddley 
toured through Memphis, and they play. He played like a like a big East Memphis, but you know, high school young kids rock and roll show. Dad's band opening up. They played Bo Diddley songs every night. Every gig was Bo Diddley heavy. But they were looking at his hands, and they were like, "What is he doing? He's not even making chords. What is what?" Is, they were he and his guitar players were standing there in front of Bo Diddley, going like what the fuck and that uh-huh. night they stayed up all night and figured out open tuning for themselves you know by just okay. seeing Bo Diddley face to face man but for me growing up man like childhood was wild man cause they were wild but it was just a lot of music you know like like stereos reel to reel tape machines you know dope trays you know like cleaning the, the <laughs> seeds and stems you know it's like and dad was awesome man he got a little i remember always being aware that he could be moody you know what i mean but yeah. uh, and mom was a to- you know, still a total angel and a total guardian of musicians and is like sheltered musicians her whole life you know and encouraged and sheltered musicians and yeah. i drew and painted my way through high school uh, and dad helped me taught me a lot about so I wasn't a natural musician, but I had a natural creative process that I've learned to apply to anything, be it writing a song, improvising a solo, producing a record, uh, or actually okay. playing the guitar. There is a creative process that I have that he helped me nurture that was, that is a total gift, you know. So did your father help you get laid? <laughs> when I was 12, he handed me Charles Mingus's autobiography, Beneath the Underdog. He was like, here, son, um, you know, uh, yeah, whatever. Just read this book. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of any kind of uh, sex talk, just read this. This will tell you everything you need to know. The Mingus got down in there, man, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice, nice. But, uh, well, with a name like Mingus, he sure he got down in there. Oh, man. Yeah. But you know, it's I knew Dad was cool. I loved his music. Uh, he was my hero and my best friend. And and then in my teenage years, he was working with Green on Red and the Replacements and Mojo Nixon. And those guys were all fucking great teachers. Not the Replacements, but every other band yeah. he worked with. He would bring them to the house, and we would have dinner and hang out. Right, Chuck Prophet. I know you've you've known you've known Chuck for forever you know yeah man we were both you know he was a 19 20 and i was like 14 you know 13 and right. we'd be jamming down in the basement you know mojo nixon came to the basement he broke my guitar string so he got on the bass and he broke a bass string and he got on the drums and he broke our bass drum pedal so by the time, by the time mojo <laughs> nixon left the house we couldn't even jam anymore man he put us out of business <laughs> okay well, that sounds about right but but you did actually wind up playing on that uh, that replacements record. Uh, that yeah, pleased, pleased to meet me, which was a big deal. Those guys had you know they were in love with Alex, and then they, they traced it back to Dickinson, and they're like, well, we have to go. And I remember when that was going on, when your dad was in the middle of making that. And but uh, so so you were just a young a teenager at that point. You're they're pulling guitar on around all those degenerates. Yeah, that was a, that was a, a total case of hey, let me get my boys on, let, let me get my boy on your record, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, your dad was always a very proud father. I'm sure. I'm sure. You oh know, yeah. As as your career exploded and you've had this this monstrous, uh, you know, success that I 
uh, he would have been proud regardless. But I'm, uh, he, I know that he was, he was, he was beside himself with pride and in, in you guys' accomplishments, man. He was a fantastic teacher, man. I, I it, it's amazing. So many things come into my mind that he said be it like whatever just like do one thing at a time that i'm a big multi-triple tasker but whenever i fuck up i'm i always hear his voice or sometimes before i fuck up I'm like just do one thing at a time one thing at a time or even something like if you got to go on tour buy a new pair of jeans and wear the jeans that's all you need you know just like something simple like that he was always giving advice and a lot it's, of rules of thumb and 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 quotes quotes you know like a, quotes a, man yeah, like there's this quote that Robert Robert Gordon had a favorite. He said, or your dad said, if you're not on the edge, you're taking up too much space. He say he likes to take an artist to the edge of the cliff and push him, you know, and some yeah. <laughs> some fall, but some fly, you know. Okay, nice, nice. But nice. you know, to come, you know, to full circle to the phenomenon mm -hmm. of when, like you said. You know, at a certain point, you got to unlearn everything you learned. And, you know, I mean, it doesn't have to be 70s, 80s punk rock influenced music. It still helps in whatever you're doing to try and retain that innocence. Uh, yes. And, and to make some art in any fashion that is, it's like Picasso said, like the pure line of a child, you know, that's like you spend the whole rest of your life trying to get back to just that pure line of, of innocence, you know. Right. Well, your dad had such a mystical approach to recording. You know, there was like there was something really supernatural going on, or at least that's that you that's what you wanted to to uh, to move towards. You know, that's what you were really trying to trying to grasp was that that ineffable mystical magical quality, and that goes down when the tape is rolling and the molecules are moving around the room. For real, man. He he would do whatever it take to capture the magic moment and then protect it. You know, like even you know, it's like it'd be at a flawed performance, but if something magical happened that that, that caught his ear, you know, if he if, if somebody shot a spark or whatever, you know, that, that's what he was in it for. Right. Well, you have all this. So we haven't hardly touched on your career at all. We want to get into, you know, you developing the, the North Mississippi All-Stars and, you know, hanging out with R.L. Burnside and, and Othra Turner and, and, and the Kimbros and all. But, Manny, it seems like this is a good time to uh, take a little break and refresh our cocktails, don't you? Yes. Think? Luther, we always take a break. We go get another libation, and the nation knows what to do. So, Luther, do what you have to do if you have to take a leak. You have to get a libation, do what you have to do, and we'll be right back. Right on. Grew up on Mississippi, hippie tripping, LSD. Smoking stills this season, drinking mushroom tea. Drinking mushroom tea. We're drinking mushroom tea. He's to the Mississippi. Be up and rolling. 
Back with Mr. Manny Chevrolet. I am Renee Coman. Back with our guest, Mr. Luther Dickinson. Now, Luther, uh, there's a terrific product that we've been associated with for about a year now. So uh, I think you're going to dig it. So, Manny, why don't you tell Luther all about this product? Luther, how are you? Mm, fantastic. Okay. Uh, listen, we've been associated with this product called the Velo Bar. The Velo Bar is what you need now in today's times. It's a stress relief bar. It's a CBD bar made up of superfood ingredients like hemp hearts and chia seeds. Yeah. It comes in two beautiful flavors, uh, dark chocolate and peanut butter, and it's got 25 uh, milligrams of CBD per bar. It's a great fucking relief bar right now. And, and we'll send you. We'll send you some if you wish, if you're into that oh, yeah. shit. Okay. okay. But right now, we're offering right now, if you go to VeloBarCBD.com, you can get uh, 15% off your order and free shipping. But the greatest thing that's happening right now, Luther – is that the VeloBar company, and we had the CEO just on a few few shows ago, he is doing now a, uh, well, he's basically doing a chocolate chip cookie. Right, Renee? Yes, it's a, cho- it's, it's a, a Delta 8 chocolate chip cookie. A Delta 8. THC, yes. It's, it's, they tinkered with the, uh, the regular Delta 9 THC molecule just enough to uh, make it legal. And uh, fantastic, yeah, baby, yeah, in most states. So, uh, you can for the time being, we don't know how long this is going to last because you know, those feds, uh, you know, they may 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 uh, shut the door at any time, but for the time being, uh, the Velobar company is making a great uh, Delta 8 cookie, chocolate chip cookie, yeah. And it you can get like three, you can get the 25 milligrams. You can get the uh, 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 36. No, you get the 50, 25, 50, or 100. Yes. And if you go to the VeloBarCBD.com website, there is a link where you can order the cookies. We're trying to keep it as secret as possible. But if you look, I think it's in the right-hand <laughs> bottom corner or right-hand top corner. There's a link, a link to order these great cookies, Luther, and – Troubled Nation knows what to do. And also, uh, Luther, if you use the, the code TROUBLEDCOOKIE15, you can get 15% off your order and free shipping. Yes and, yes. and, you know, apparently, you know, we announced this a couple of weeks ago, Renee. We had the CEO of the company on. Right, and he, he, he texted me uh, uh, just last, a few days ago, saying that we've, sales were going crazy through the okay. Troubled Nation. Okay. And we, wa- he, he, we wanted to give a shout-out. To Gerald M, we're not going to give out his last name, but Gerald M used the Trouble Cookie 15 promo code, and he bought the hundred milligram cookie. Okay, and so he, you know, he him and him and Willie Nelson. Uh, we endorse that. The Trouble yeah. Podcast endorses the 100 milligram uh, dosage. That's yeah. for us. That's what we, we would go for. But uh, Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so, Luther, uh, you know, share if you want uh, this. It's, it's VeloBarCBD.com. Go yes. to it and order these cookies. Order these Velo Bars. I'm, I love the Velo Bar. I have one like uh, every uh, uh, two hours. I'm okay. eating them like crazy. I, I'm just eating them like crazy. 
but anyway, so that's that. Uh, let's get back to our beautiful guest. Yes, yes. And, and as always, uh, Troubled Nation, if you want to support the podcast directly, you can jump on that PayPal link in the, the show notes or the Facebook page and uh, support the podcast. Buy us a cocktail where everything's opening up. We're going to be back out there in the ring room, hopefully, before too long. So anyway, uh, can't, can't wait to, to see Manny face to face. It's, it's been, been too long. So anyway, back to our guest, uh, Luther Dickinson. So Luther, you, you had, you grew up in this, in this super rich, uh, musical environment with your dad and all this roots music, but you have right there in, in, in almost your neighborhood, the, the North Mississippi, the hill country music of, of, you know, fife and drum tradition and R.L. Burnside, that kind of trance blues and the, the Kimbrough family, junior Kimbrough. And, you start uh, hanging around and playing with those guys. Tell us about that. That, that was an amazing, life-changing experience. And it, it's funny that it was my own journey. Um, I was aware of Hill Country not as a full community. Well, we lived in Tennessee until I was 12, rural Tennessee. But mm-hmm. he, but even then, I noticed in my dad's record collection this guitar player, Mississippi Fred McDowell. He grew up in Rossville, Tennessee, this small town outside of Memphis that that, that we grew up in, and okay. that fascinated me. So I'd always focused in on Fred McDowell, who ended up being the godfather. He he moved to the North Mississippi Hills. You know that was that was part of his journey. So. And of course, you know, you got to move the Rolling Stones, like you know, Mississippi Fred, and he was in them on the Memphis scene, the the Bohemian scene I told you about, and Furry Lewis, of course. You know, we yes. were exposed to the blues through our dad, dad's collection and his experience, but then, as a in in my youth, I saw dad and I would always watch Mister Rogers. He was a huge Mister Rogers fan, and one day. Other Turner and Jesse Mahempa were on fucking Mr. Rogers. Okay. And dad was like, yo, check this out. These people live, the, these, these people are just like from right around here. Like, this is cool. And they, you can see it, you know, Other Turner and Jesse May doing fife and drum music on Mr. Rogers. It's super hip. Nice. And then when I was 15, at that point, you asked about our childhood. I'm, I'm working my way to the Hill Country Blues, but I wanted to say that, you know, once dad would discourage us from being musicians. He was like, it's a hard life. Don't do it just because you see me doing it. Like, you know, yeah. like, but <laughs> as soon as we started writing songs, that's when he kind of took an interest in it. And like I said, I was not a talented guitar player. You still have no business singing in public. But when I started writing <laughs> songs, he was like, wow, there's something there. Okay. And of course my brother was already, you know, as my dad said, playing like a man. Um, yeah. And, uh, What's your brother's name? Cody. Cody Dickinson. Cody. Cody. Okay. Play, All right. Yeah. He plays drums, guitar, electric washboard, badass. He, he's a genius. I mean, he could have done, he, he could do anything. Science, computers. He just yeah. chose music because that's, that's, you know, he's nice. an incredibly, but he's that, that kind of guy. He could do anything. He's so smart. Right. But, yeah. um, so when we started writing songs, Dad took us, well, okay, all right, let's do some demos. And he took us to Sam Phillips, and we had okay. our first little session, just the two of us with Dad on bass. We were rolling Janes. 
you know, the yeah. great guitar player of Jerry Lee Lewis and, and Billy, Billy uh, Lee Riley from, you know, Sam Phillips's right hand man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He and he he lasted forever. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Anyway, yes. Oh, dude, for real, totally. You know, Bruce Springsteen came and worked with him. Bob Dylan came. Yeah. Dylan wanted to record a <laughs> night, and Roland was like, "No, no, no, no. You you know, nine to five, man. Sorry, yeah. I don't care who you are. I'm not working at night. You know." <laughs> <laughs> uh, Roland James is fantastic. Everyone he encouraged all the. God, I meant I forgot to. Mentioned Teeny Hodges, man. He was a great Teeny influence Hodges, always All the in Hodges Memphis. Brothers, so great. Dude. Charles Hodges, yes. Uh, Let's willingly digress here. Speaking okay. of the New Orleans Memphis connection that nobody uh, talks about, nobody knows this, but the Hodges family and the Neville family are related. No kidding. And that, I didn't know that. That's too much to even to think that all that music, Al Green, Ovi Wright, the whole. High music, Royal Studios music, and all the Neville Brothers music is all coming from the same extended family. It's just too wow. much to take, you know. Is that but, because cousins are fucking? Yeah. Oh, oh man. I, I don't know about hey. That, but, uh, who hey. Knows? Who knows? Who knows who's doing um, what, man? <laughs> you know, it's you draw from you know you 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 take material from what you know. You know, I don't know, man. You tell me, right, man. Right, right, right. Cer- certainly in the Jerry Lee Lewis family, they were. I think I you're, pro- yeah. Are you projecting? <laughs> yeah, I'm always projecting something. <laughs> hey, man. My edible is kicking in, man. And I'm drinking it. <laughs> <laughs> Wait till That's you get those the- cookies, man. Wait till yeah. you get those cookies. Look, 100 milligram. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot. It's a, it's a T-H-Z, lot. THZ, man, 100 milligrams is strong. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, so yes, the, the, yes, the, 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 the Hodges family and, and the Nevilles. But then, so you were talking about... Uh, uh, Just growing up, we did the recording session with Dad, and then right. the next step was he started the family band, Jim Dickinson and the Hardly Can Playboys, and he started okay. teaching us his repertoire. And our first gig was in Memphis at this heritage festival with people of all, music of all walks of Memphis life. Amazing. Uh-huh. And Othar Turner and his family were there, and I got to know his daughter. I was already knew who Othar was, and... Uh-huh. And then every year I would see them and, and became friends with them. And then when I was 18, 19, yeah, 18, I recorded them for the first time. And we put out a seven-inch record through Shangri-La Records, the great record store in Memphis. And right. it was funny. We did this whole thing. We recorded them in the yard, made a seven-inch vinyl record, did the artwork, printed it up, took it to him. He was like, this is nice, but what I need is tapes. <laughs> <laughs> I need some tapes. <laughs> My girlfriend's got a tape player, you know. Anyway, right. <laughs> and then Othar, you know, uh, through Othar, I was friends with Othar the longest. He was like a great grandfather. We, he and R.L. Boyce and I would play music on the front porch for years and years and years. Play Othar's picnics, you know. Othar playing on Othar's front porch is where Dad said I learned how to feel music. And I think it, I didn't know what he meant for a long time, but I think it meant that RL and I would play guitars, and it's just one chord open tuning, foot stomping, one chord boogie. But if we right. played well enough, or if we, if we, if we uh, uh, brought up, evoked an emotion in Other, he would start singing. 
And that's mm. all we wanted, you know. Like, I wanted Other to sing. R.L. Boyce wanted Other to pass the bottle of corn liquor over free of charge because Other was a bootlegger. But okay. <laughs> so those are two agendas at work on the porch. But Other, uh, I think maybe it was feeling music, like listening, listening for those drop beats. As I told you, Renee, mm. R.L. Boyce would stomp his foot in eighth notes one and two and three and four and any eighth note could become the new one at any point and that was a huge lesson for me to learn you know and and the key is you have to abandon any idea of right and wrong you know and it's such a a terrible position that musicians get in where like well i'm right you know and like that's a whole nother conversation because yeah, I don't even want to get into that conversation. Sure, but. sure, sure. Well, anyway, uh, get, just to get back to you, um, so so you spend all this this time, and then you, and then you think, well, okay, uh, I want to, you know, Cody and I can start a band, and we can be playing this music because the world doesn't really know this music, and it's it's a rich uh, field for us to to uh, to 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 plant here. We had no worldly ambitions whatsoever man we had no care we started the band in 96 and we finally begrudgingly signed a record deal in 99 we did not care about like spreading anything to the world man okay when i was 16 dad was like okay you say you want to do this you've got a car i'm sorry you have a guitar an amp and access to a car you know what you gonna do you know like Go do it, you know. Go hustle up some. Right. And I've been playing gigs and and hustling ever since. And we just weren't. We were, I don't know if it's because we were just nonstop smoking dope, nonstop, and get burned out on acid, or. But I think the real reason is North Mississippi in the mid early to mid nineties. Well, all through the nineties was so it so completely fulfilling and satisfying. I had no no ambition to be to get into like a, a national or international uh game you know like we were just selling tapes just like other we were selling tapes out the trunk and we'd play yeah. little local gigs but th- it just uh, we weren't ambitious in that way and we fell into it begrudgingly and once we did and we signed our first contract and we went on tour we were gone for 20 years you know yeah it exploded exploded the, the very first record you do winds up getting a grammy nomination and oh, and yeah. you were saying that, that that whole thing changed your life yeah it changed our life and and our art reflected the life because our first record was like these these this biracial band from north mississippi making music in a barn on some a couple of eight app machines and it's like homegrown psychedelic uh uh hill country rock and roll music you know from right. the memphis area and like but then our next record, dude, we were like playing international festivals with like, you know, these bands that we grew up watching on MTV and and uh-huh. uh, completely, you know, like severed our, our true gravitational ties to home. And as we toured, the elders, Junior Kimbrough, because we grew up going to Junior Kimbrough's juke joint on Sunday night and his mm-hmm. whole family. It was all these f- musical families like ours, R.L. Burnside. 
If we started the All Stars in '96 to to participate in the, in this tradition, just locally, we I, I wish I'd have been suave enough to say, well, hmm. <laughs> but you know, if, if if my intentions were not pure, I don't think it would have worked. You know, be like, hmm, I could turn the whole world onto this. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I I always like to to couch things in a kind of uh, you know mythologizing way. So now I you know in hindsight <laughs> I talk about it how you knew you were this a mission you were on. But no, I understand. You're just trying to trying to have fun and, and play this cool music. I'm not jiving either. Yeah, we. I really because that gets into a whole other can of worms, you know. But we started the band in '96 and '97. Kenny Brown and R.L. Burnside hired me to go on the road with them. And dude, nice. I'd never been anywhere. You know, yeah. we went to Nashville once because Panther Burns was playing a show. You know, we used okay. to go to New Orleans occasionally. Uh, we'd go to Austin, Texas for South by Southwest in the early days. Like, that was our family vacation. We'd never been, I'd never been in an airplane, never went anywhere in my late 20s, you know. But, dude, uh-huh. Kenny Brown, R.L., and Cedric Burnside. Cedric was 14, and I'm like, yeah. I don't know, whatever, <laughs> early 20s. Cedric's thing was like, don't pay me like I'm young, you know, like, <laughs> don't pay me just, don't pay me like I'm 14, you know, pay me like I'm a grown man, you know. Doing a man's job, pay me like a man, right? Exactly. But uh, they, man, they blew my mind, dude. I had no idea. They were, you know, they took me to Philadelphia, New York, uh, Boston, Toronto, Montreal, Chicago, selling out huge places with, you know, they had cash stuffed everywhere. Like nobody at home knew what the hell they were doing when they left, you know? We had no idea. Like those fat possum records had 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 come out and RL was was having a whole uh Mm -hmm. another another level of visibility. So you were you were right there at the right time to be uh you know reaping a a lifetime of putting in the hard work. (laughs) This was the ass pocket this was the John Spencer, the tour to promote the John Spencer record, you know? So it was the heyday right. of R.L.'s popularity. Nice. You know, that man. was a fascinating thing as well. Not only to watch, you know, R.L. Burnside, his family, Junior Kimbrough, his family, Oath Attorney, his family. That's what I loved. But also, you know, and, and from the sidelines completely, you know, watching G-Love and Special Sauce, watching uh, Beck watching John Spencer and the Blues Explosion, people of my generation who had all the same influences of our parents' record collections and MTV and punk rock and hip-hop, everything, watching how mm-hmm. everyone filtered, hey, uh, Jack White, you know? Um, right. See how everyone, Panther Burns. There would be no, I mean, if not but for Panther Burns, and there would be no Panther Burns without Mudboy. Mudboy, Panther Burns, they really paved the way for that whole punk blues thing. I mean, it would have right. happened anyway, but they were trailblazing for sure. They had the machetes out, you know? Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, was, Beck, uh, Beck was my neighbor in Echo Park. No shit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he, never, he never mowed his lawn. <laughs> that's a true guitar player right there. Yeah, that's yeah, a yeah, that's yeah. a man after my heart. Yeah. So was that when he was made when he did Loser like on the on the on yeah, the low? Yeah, that's that killer. was when he broke out. He was my neighbor in Echo Park, and uh, you know never mowed his lawn, but uh, he was co- he was a good kid. He was a good kid. He's a great singer, man. He sings his ass off. 
I remember I remember specifically the first picture of Beck in Rolling Stone. He's wearing the flannel shirt with the leaf blower on stage mm-hmm. at some little punk rock club. And my dad mm-hmm. pointed it at it and said, Look at that. He said, That's that's the backdoor man. Like you you gotta watch out for that guy. Like it's somebody like that who's gonna, you know That was the it, coconut teaser on Sunset, the little club. Wow. On Sun- yeah, I know. I know that for a fact because uh, I, I used to frequent that place. Coconut teaser on Sunset. That's where he did the leaf blower thing and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> nice, ah, nice, nice. You know, I was that ambitious, but my father was, and he would try and kick me in the ass. You know, he'd be like, "You see that that dude's gonna have your career," you know, or like something like that. You could do, you know, like he would. He loved nothing better than to find some new good ass guitar player to rub in my face. <laughs> so. Well, maybe he was just trying to maybe he was just trying to get you to mow the lawn. Oh, okay, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Motivate you in some, in some kind of way. Man, at one point I came back from the road and you know, we made our living on the road. Like I said, it changed my life and my father stayed in the studio, but we found our way on the road and and uh you were prostitutes? I, <laughs> total. <laughs> complete. Complete. Yeah, there's only two. You know, you got the pimps and the hoes, man. And you, <laughs> you know. One or the other. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Dude, the touring music industry sucks the blood out of the. It's so bad. Like, oh, yeah, okay, you need a tour manager. You need a monitor guy. Oh, you should have a guitar tech. Oh, you need a bus to carry around all these people to do all these oh, jobs. That yeah, you yeah. Dude. It's a little racket, man. Yeah, because, and the guys telling you this are getting paid on the gross. Meanwhile, oh, you're getting paid, paid on the net. So, yeah, yeah, it's, it, that definitely is a whole racket. And not only did we buy into it, our dad encouraged us. He's like, yeah, you need a bus. You need a tour manager. You need security. Like, dad would just buy into it. But I swear, that's not my way, and that's not me. And I know now for a fact, the harder I work and the more I do myself, the better the music is. You know, the more isolated and pampered you are, the more soft the music is. I'm, I'm not into it. I like Okay. All right. I, I, I like that I agree with totally, man. Yeah, that's, yeah. You got to yeah, hit, you know. You got to be out there, man. And you got to have like confrontation. It helps. It helps. Yeah, definitely. But let me uh, listen. I saw you play with the Black Crows uh, at some festival. Yeah, that was your next era. I'm jumping forward a little bit, but I just want to, I want to, I just want to say, I saw you play at some festival on the East Coast back in, I don't know, I I can't remember when it was, but it was some festival right on a beach or something. Maybe it was the Carolina, I don't know where it was, Carolina. And your solo uh, during uh, the Wiser Time song blew my mind. Yeah, yeah. Your solo was... Oh, man. Fucking blew my mind. I was like going... I don't know. I, I just thought I, I had reached another level in my life. It was yeah, like, you're starting to levitate. Yeah, I was levitating basically. You're so <laughs> because you know because you were trading off with uh, Chris Robinson, right? You guys yep. were trading off solos and stuff, and that song was like a 17 minute, 20 minute song, and I, I was just blown away. I just got to say, I, you blew my mind that day. It, right it was on, amazing. Nice. I, I mean, I was on beer and pot probably, but whatever. 
you know, or maybe something Good. else. But but uh, it, it blew. And I, in fact, I actually YouTubed that show uh, earlier today. Oh wow! I, 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 I YouTubed. It. I don't know what festival. Some festival that was on the shore somewhere. I don't know where it was, but because uh, I don't remember much. Um, but uh, let me ask you a question, and we'll move on. But the Robinson brothers, uh, how cool were they? Were they like? constantly like were they like the gallagher brothers with oasis or were they like the everly brothers or smothers brothers you know uh, you know what were they like man they, they were total i mean everybody has conflict on the road and in in business but they were total professional gentlemen man it was a ball working with them and and they entered and and you know even the oasis brothers i mean you know it's all theater you know it's like there's a total aspect to rock and roll theater i think that that gets played into it. See, I, mean, I totally like agree I said, with that. Yeah, yeah. You, you're trying to sell records. You're trying to sell uh, press, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. and there would be, they're very, diff- very different. And at times they, you know, did not care for each other. But man, you know, it's, it's just business. And rock and roll, it's like you said, confrontation. Rock and roll is serious business. It's not the right place for so polite niceties and tiptoeing around people's feelings like rock and roll is serious business and it gets re it can get real dark it can get real ugly and rude it can get downright nasty and and negative and you know and that band any band but it can be a very it is a polluted environment but a lot of it you know is that you know what yeah that's why what that's why when i hear like bands say that oh we totally get along it's a perfect atmosphere i think that's fucking bullshit man it's total bullshit you can't (laughs) be be together that long and not have gonna have conflict of course yeah and not say uh, not not have every once in a while just say fuck you i'm out of here but it's but the but the people I can work through that you know that's the bands I can continue to work together. I mean, so of course there's going to be conflict, but yeah, it's, you have to. And I think it gets better with time. Like I know with my brother and I, we're total opposites, and we complement each other. And the longer we do it, the better and and easier it gets in some ways. You know, you know, when you when you have somebody's back. Now this is a little digression, but. When you have somebody's back for real, that means you've got their back even when you know they're wrong. You know what I mean? And yeah, and that's a powerful thing. Like you seriously, like if you start well, you know, as soon as you start wavering on that, then you don't have their back. You know, that's right. when you're now. Was Kate Hudson on any of these tours with the Black Crows? She was on the scene we started we opened up for them when they got back together and she was on the scene that whole crew but not by the time i was in the band they were not together but uh you know uh, uh, let me you reminded me of part of the it's it's easy to to race through but a big part like to say that you had a transcendental moment while we were improvising that means a lot to me man because when I was 17, 16, 17, like I was deeply into experimenting with psychedelics and listening to Jimi Hendrix and the Almond Brothers and pointedly not the Grateful Dead, not Fish or any of that other stuff. I liked Jimi Hendrix and the Almond Brothers and punk rock. Black Flag was my band, you know, ever since the time I was my like God. 12. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I tried other bands, but for me it was really just Black Flag. And... um and and whatever else you know blues I go into you know jazz Indian classical whatever go into different but 
when I'm really hitting it hard and, and evolving, you know, it's funny you got to <laughs> uh, be careful what you wish for because I literally remember sitting there tripping and listening to like live at the film or going like, fuck, that's what I want to do in my life. Like, that's it. Like, this is it. Like, yeah. and like, <laughs> and, man. All the circuits lit up, man. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So I'm glad that worked out for us all, you know. Oh yeah, no, that's that's a beautiful story, man. Well, well, so we're kind of getting near the the downslope of the podcast, but I, I want to touch on some and of the, the career, <laughs> no, well, of our lives in general. Yeah, you know, we definitely have more uh, yesterdays than tomorrows. Uh, me and Manny, anyway. Not speaking of you, you're a little bit younger than us, but uh, oh, no. but uh, you're you're right there. You might be right on that the 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 fulcrum there, teeter tottering on on the, the midpoint, um, but. Uh, but, you know, you're, you're a busy guy, man. You play with all these different groups besides, you know, you have a bunch of solo records out. I mean, you're, you and your brother are, are, are Grammy nominee bait. I mean, you, you guys have like seven. You, your last record you just put out, that was uh, another Grammy-nominated record. Uh, what was that? Uh, Up and Rolling, the, the last uh, North Mississippi All-Star record. Um, but then you also have uh, Sons of Mud Boy, which is... Yeah. Uh, and I don't know how active that band is, but it's cool that all the, the children of, of Mudboy and the Neutrons have a band now, and it's a cool band, and you got, I was listening to the record today, and it's very much in that same jug band style, man. You know, that's... Uh, Did you, was that the gospel record you heard? Uh, yes. Yes, it was. That was the beginning of that band. That was like two days after my dad passed. Um, uh-huh. I had, he didn't want a funeral. And he was sick all summer of 09. And the whole community, like there was a big tribute benefit. Like the whole community was so beautiful and supportive, but he did not want a funeral. And it, it was hard, man. And and he passed and we had a tiny little family gathering. And I had been playing gospel music during that time. Like a was little he bit cremated and, or buried? Crem- cremated, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, see, that's and the way to do it, man. That's I'm with you on that. Yeah, you know, that's the way to do it. But during the during his little service, I, I had this session booked to record this gospel music that I'd worked up during that period of time. And I was like, well, Dad hated funerals, but he loved recording sessions. I'll, let me uh-huh. invite all of a, all the community down to this recording session. So that's what that was, man. We It was also experimenting. Um, I wanted to do like an Alan Lomax style, not mono, but just, and not stereo, but left, right. So we had a, uh-huh. a, a two-track tape machine and two ribbon mics, you know, just plugged into the left channel and the right channel. And we, right. we, we gathered up in a circle and took turns doing, um, you know, so it was at that time, Sid Selvage was still alive. Uh-huh. Lee Baker was the first to go. He, was, he passed in the 90s, the guitar player extraordinaire. But Sid and Steve and Jimmy Crosswaite, who is still with this man, Steve, you know. Yes. So it, it's a beautiful thing, but you we don't do gospel like that was just a rare thing, you know. Okay, um, all right. That record because we do jug band music and we also do rock and roll, just like Mudboy, and we get together for birthdays and holidays, and it's like community service, man. The poor Mudboy audience is just shrinking, you know. It's like <laughs> the mothers of Mudboy is like, you know, it's that's the audience, but it's a, it is yeah. a great. I love music that has no. You know, when, like, the music is an artifact of the hang, you know what I mean? That, that's no the kind of record I want to make. Yeah, no intention. 
Yeah, right, right, right. And, you know, your dad, I was reading something. You were talking about uh, something sticking to the tape. And that's a phrase that I heard your dad use many times. Like, what sticks to the tape? You know, what conflict sticks to the <laughs> tape? You know, uh, and misery. But, but a lot of that was his line. Misery, misery sticks to the tape but but like um <laughs> contrivance and and artifice doesn't stick so well it doesn't really hold up to, no. you know, <laughs> it's so transparent you know it's so transparent a, a new one for me is that you know like say you go to the party you go to a party and you want people to like say it's a new group of people or whatever and you feel uncomfortable and and you kind of want to make friends or you know and it's like it's a terrible awkward feeling and i was like holy shit like as transparent as that is in a social life is just as transparent in the music you make like if you care about trying to get people to like the music you make then you're just like resonating that frequency that is it's not attractive you know right right wow that's true yeah another another great great uh, quote there from uh, from from luther dickinson well uh man luther it feels like we could talk about <laughs> little questions we, I feel- well luther <laughs> i just want to ask you one thing luther anything manny i'm here yeah yeah uh because we got to get going because we're almost ready to end this but um i always like to ask guests over the past few weeks uh uh a, a would you rather kind of question and I'm going to bring this out to you. Uh, would hypothetical you ra- question, right? Yeah, so, yeah, 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 yeah. Hypothetical, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Would you rather have your mom catch you masturbating or would you rather catch your mom masturbating? <laughs> oh, okay. It's, it's got to be one or the other here. It's one or the other. There's no you can only choice. choose one, Luther. Right. <laughs> well, I'm just trying to remember which one was more awkward. from your actual experience yeah 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 but manny manny Manny, what do you think manny well it's happened it both happened to me okay (laughs) (laughs) so i i i I can't answer that question because it happened to me both of them yeah what about you what about you renee um um gee you know which would be worse um, I think catching my mom would be worse. <laughs> I think that would be worse. Um, yeah, yeah. Even you bringing it up right now is kind of traumatizing. Me. <laughs> I'm having to picture this just in order to, to make yeah. an evaluation. Yeah. Have a good night's sleep, Renee. Oh, yeah, thank you, Manny. Well, I, I don't think we could close on a better note than that, Manny. Uh, <laughs> Luther, thank you so much for joining us here again. I think we just scratched the surface, Manny. Another guest that we could bring back for another show, certainly. Yes, definitely, Luther. Yes, thank you, man. Thank Uh, you. uh, Yeah, uh, and we'll be in touch, okay? And we're going to send you some cookies, okay? Yeah, brother. So, uh, uh, ready to wrap up, Manny? Yeah, and Trouble Nation knows the drill. Uh, Trouble uh, never ends. But the struggle continues. Good night. Good night. Bye-bye, baby, bye-bye. Bye-bye, baby, bye-bye. You can call that gone. You can call that gone. Bye-bye, baby, bye-bye. Bye-bye, baby, bye-bye. You can call that gone.
दे 